did not give much of their warmth out to the hall. He sat, unworried, watching the others, watching Crawford. Crawford was good at dancing. They had scarcely spoken to one another, then or later. The edges of their lives scarcely overlapped. They went away to different prep schools, a hundred miles apart. In the years that followed, they met sometimes at other people's parties. Once they passed in different punts, on the backs at Cambridge but they had scarcely spoken to one another. There was only this dislike. Now, he saw that it had been because of something in Crawford's expression, a smugness about the loose, soft cheeks and the smallness of nose and mouth. But he was worried, this time, that someone he scarcely knew should have been, throughout his life, so consistently disliked. There ought to be no time, now, for that, no place for it. He was being petty. Since going to the front in April, he had found out so many things, came up against traits like this, which he could not accept. He had thought, before April, that he knew himself. He was wounded during the second week of the offensive, in July. Came home again. Was twenty-two then. Knew everything. Nothing. And there had been Crawford, in a white coat, standing at the foot of his hospital bed. A familiar face, He had joined up straight from medical school that first August. Been out there long? April. And got yourself a blighty in July. I said you were a clever devil, Hilliard. Why? What do you know about me? You know nothing. I dislike you, Crawford. But why that, either? Bloody silly, childish. They were not children now. Crawford was Crawford. He had done nothing, only that there was still the smugness of face, the fold of the jowls, the slight smile, as though he remembered that he had been good at dancing. Dancing. On the third night, he had tried to bribe him. I'll pretend I didn't hear that, Hilliard. Look, pack you off home on Wednesday. We need the beds, God knows. Nice casualty train, can't see if you're lucky. Month in Horton. You'll be all right. Crawford, how's your sister? I can't sleep. No. Only see the pale moving lights, hear the screens drawn, metal scissors dropped into enamel bowls, hear the field gunner with the bandaged face, crying. Think yourself lucky you got off a bit early. It's no picnic now. What? You've seen what's coming in here, and there'll be more. Something's still boiling up. We hear things, you know. But have you been there, Crawford? Have you been? Well, does that matter? He has to be here, doesn't he? Somebody has to be here when they bring in the field gunner, blinded. Non-combatant forces. Crawford. He wanted to sleep, shut out the noises. Why had it been so easy up there, to sleep on a fire step? on a table in a cellar, to fall asleep on horseback going up the road to Bapaum, to sleep through the noise of the guns. Not now. I've got to sleep. Crawford had gone away. Yet now, in the room above the rose garden, he was trying the old trick of staying awake, keeping his head above the green-black water of nightmares. Outside, it was still, except, in the distance, the faint wash of the sea. The trick was, 
to order yourself to be dead asleep by the time you counted ten or twenty. Then, you couldn't do it. You stayed awake for as long as you wanted. Ten, fifteen, twenty. Go to sleep. Though perhaps when he was a child in this room, he had never in fact wanted it to be so very long, only wanted time enough to see the guests who were coming to dinner, or hear the owl begin to hoot in the trees at the bottom of the drive. Once, he stayed awake for the arrival of his mother's cousin, who was a missionary in Africa, and who had been, after all, an ordinary woman in a dull green dress, who had been nothing, seen from two floors above through the stairwell, who bore no traces of Africa. Now, he wanted to stay awake. There was nothing to hear, for the owls had moved away some years ago. There were no visitors to see. He was no longer a child excluded from secrets. Now, there were no secrets.